And at that point, I realized that I was getting a bit more deals than I did have, than I had capital sitting in my back pocket. You're listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, welcome back, Right Club Nation, to another episode of the Right Club Podcast. I am sitting in front of Alfonso, well, in front through Zoom, my co-host, Alfonso Salemi. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Sarah. How are you doing? Good, good. So it was your birthday yesterday, uh, I hear, eh? <laughs> yes, yes. Finally, I turned 21 years old. I'm really happy about that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was a great, uh, great birthday. Got to spend some time with family and friends. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we went out and celebrated, uh, tipped back a couple of drinks and had some fun, but, uh, right back at it, recording the podcast. I think I just said to you, this is, this is a great way to, uh, to get refreshed the next day after a good night of partying. So, um, how are you doing? What have you been up to? What's going on with you, Sarah? Yeah, no, things have been good. I'm actually meeting with some JV partners. Uh, I have two actually later today, Sunday, um, and, you know, one of the things I realized is if once I leave my job, even if I go down to part-time hours uh, and I really want to do it because my boss is like the best boss ever and, and I want to, you know, help him along the way until we really have the replacement to, to take over my position. However, you know, one of the things is that for financing purposes, you know, once I do that, it's going to be a lot harder. So I started, you know, looking for those right partners and I have a few in mind. And for me, it's just really important to have the right partners because I, I get a lot, I mean, probably you too, I get a lot of JV requests and I don't take most of them um, because it's, if it's not the right fit, we're not on the same page. Uh, it's not the right JV structure, then I probably won't do it, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm leaping into that now. And uh, I've got a few that want to learn along the way. So I'm actually going to be coaching them through. Um, and the goal is that after this, this first JV, they're going to be able to do it on their own. So I know it's a little bit different than, uh, than the typical passive active. But uh, hey, you know what? Why not? I enjoy teaching it. So that's, uh, that's what I've been up to. What about you? Yeah. That, you know what? That, that's amazing. That's a, such a blessing that, you know, if, if you joint venture with, with yourself and uh, with, with you, Sarah, that, you know, you also get that learning and, you know, at, at JAG, we like to do that as well too. And um, the really cool part of this whole real estate investing world is, you know, we get to choose the people that we work with. I remember being young and, you know, sometimes getting in trouble or fights in, in school or something like that. And, you know, my mom would always say, oh, you have to get along with everybody. You don't know who you're going to have to work with and you're going to have to work with somebody that you don't like and you have to get along. And yes, it's true for the most part, but now these days, we get to choose who we want to work with and who we want to partner with, whether that's our power team, our joint venture partners, um, you know, for ourselves, our tenants and our tenant buyers, um, those types of people. And, um, you know, when you're saying that, like, I, I love how you say is, you know, like I can kind of choose and it's not to be like all powerful and mighty, but it's that you get to align with the right people that you want to align with and grow and build with. And I remember when we were, capped out Adam and I and basically couldn't get any more mortgages or it wasn't really easy for us to get any more mortgages. And we started looking for joint venture partners and we had a lot of deals and, and you know, projects in our pipeline. And at first it was like, Oh my God, they have money. Let's not ask too many questions. Let's just make sure they can work with us because they want to give us money. Oh my God. We were so excited now that we've gone through the kind of the, the progression of our businesses. Okay. Well, what kind of money do we want to 
take or, or, or have invest with us, right? And that becomes more powerful because then it's not just a one-time hit. It's, it's a consistent relationship that you're building with people. So I love how you said that. And, and yeah, same with us. We're, we're always looking for more joint venture partners. We're always looking for more tenant buyers who I consider a partner you know, in our business, as well as mortgage brokers, realtors that are partners as well too. And, you know, in rent to own, you know, it doesn't have always the, the shiniest reputation. And uh, about two, two and a half years ago, you know, I had, you know, done a presentation to realtors as we often do. We go into the brokerages and we meet with realtors and, and the one realtor kind of pulled me aside. I love this model, this rent to own. It's great. And then and if they don't qualify, you get to keep the house too. And you get to do it all over again. This is fantastic. You never lose. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, I just don't like the language, the way that they were presenting that, that they were already trying to say, oh, look, if the client fails, it's even better. And that's not our primary method. Yeah, we have fail safes for that when it does happen. And, you know, it's happened a few times, but we want to work with people that want to help people to improve their lives and their financial situation. So even our joint venture partners, our realtors, our mortgage brokers, if they're not aligned, if they're not aligned with our values on helping the client as well as profiting, then we don't want to work with them. We, we really say, you know what, maybe this isn't the project for you. We don't need to squeeze every single dollar out of these people. We want to help them. We want to leave them with a better in a better position so that we can have longevity in our business and that they get better referrals. So um, yeah, that, that's super cool. Absolutely. Look, win-win. That's the way that we want to do it for me, just like you, integrity, trust, yeah. brands, reputation that matters more than, you know, a penny here or a dollar here or whatever. You so got it. you got it. It's, then, uh, it's yeah. important to, to be able to sleep at night knowing that you're doing the right thing as, you know, as much as possible and, uh, and you know, working and helping as many people as you can. Absolutely. And that definitely bleeds over into what we do at the right club and, you know, yourself and I, along with Daniel and Laurel, and now the team that we've been um, building at the right club as well, too, is that they get so excited when we hear our, you know, people in our group, people in, in the right club that are saying, Oh my God, I listened to this podcast. I met this guy. And then I invested in that one there. And now I'm on to my third or fourth or fifth deal. And we're like, wow, that, that's amazing. And we want to hear those stories because oftentimes we, we hear them really quickly when we're in the room or we get, you know, to have an amazing interview like we did today with Austin and they share that. But Right Club Nation, please, I, I, I want to make it very clear. We want to hear your stories. If there's something that you want to share with the Right Club and because of, you know, you came to an event or you listened to a podcast, you're on one of our webinars, you've been, you know, um, been successful on the online community. We want to hear those stories from you. We want to hear the wins. We want to hear some of the, the maybe the small losses or, or even the big losses of how we can share this and improve ourselves and improve our Right Club Nation to do that. And, and Austin today is a great example of, you know, he's right out there going, yeah, I, I made a mistake. I didn't know. I wasn't ready. I watched a few YouTube videos and then I jumped right in and good on him for doing that and taking the chance and taking the risk. But now as he kind of grew his network, right? He's been maybe, um, he's been making it a little bit easier for himself on, on finding best practices and finding the people that are out there doing it in a great way. Yeah, absolutely. And he's doing this while holding a full-time job, doing the birth strategy in Windsor, and he's got 14 of them now. So, you know, he's built some great systems clearly that allow him to be able to do that from a distance and still work full-time. Huge inspiration. And he's only 24. So yeah. super proud of him, super excited to have him share his story 
on our podcast and uh, and also he comes out to the right club so if uh, if you wanted to meet austin come out to uh, the right club and you may get a chance to also talk to him and ask him some more questions so what do you think alfonso shall we uh play the recording absolutely this is a great interview hope you guys enjoy it welcome to the podcast austin uh, sarah and i are really excited to have you on today and uh, really looking forward to chatting with you thank you so much guys i'm, I'm very excited to be on that's awesome. That's awesome. So for, uh, for the members of the Right Club Nation that haven't had the chance to meet you or, or uh, you know, shake your hand at one of the live events or work with you, why don't you give us a little bit of a background of, uh, of who you are and what you're currently doing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm a real estate investor in Toronto. I'm actually investing long distance down at Windsor while working a full-time job at uh, one of the big five banks. So a lot of work on my plate, um, but I've been investing for 18 months now. Uh, I've been using the burst strategy and really taking advantage of kind of like building that power team. So eventually I can manage everything just from my cell phone, right. And live that laptop lifestyle. That's awesome. It's always great to, uh, to talk to another fellow burr investor. My favorite strategy, of course, not mm-hmm. that there is not other strategies that I like. I like lots of strategies, but, uh, it's really what got me to where I am today. Now you've got, I think we were talking 14 properties. Yes, up to 14 properties now. 14 properties in 18 months doing this from Toronto with a full-time job. That's pretty impressive. So I wanted to take a moment and uh, and ask you how, first of all, you are doing it from a four-hour distance. Yes, that's correct. So how are you doing it? How are you managing all of these properties and organizing the renovation processes while during the birth strategy? Yeah, I mean, so at the beginning, it was very stressful. So I guess I'll back up a bit into kind of the first property and how I got into all of this, right? Um, So I was looking for a way, like many millennials, um, how do I get out of my corporate job? So I played around in stocks, was never really good at that. And then I just YouTube, okay, like, what should I do to build passive income? And obviously, I ran across like the Matt Pichet's, Matt McKeever's, uh, uh, Mike Rosehart, and all of that Canadian YouTube scene. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to invest in real estate to build that passive income. And really, I didn't do that much research from there. I had about $40,000 saved up um, upon graduating university from working internships and all of that. And obviously, I couldn't buy Toronto at that time. 40 grand can't even buy a parking spot in downtown Toronto. So I went on Google, searched different markets, and I found the forgotten city of Windsor and thought, hey, I could afford a property down here. Didn't really, to be honest, I didn't really do too much research after that. The numbers checked out and I, I pulled the trigger very quickly. So when I bought my first investment property, I realized that I should have definitely built a power team first. I kind of just jumped the gun, purchased a single family home for about $130,000. And then I was like, oh crap, what did I just do? Now I got to work backwards and figure everything out. And uh, at the beginning, it was a mess. So with the first contractor I worked with, he took me for a hell of a ride. Uh, He gave me a quote that went significantly above budget. He said that the renovations would take one month, then it stretched out to three months. Um, It it was an absolute nightmare. I worked with the wrong real estate agents as well. And after that experience, it didn't really deter me from investing in real estate, but I thought I have to do something about this because I was going back and forth from Toronto to Windsor pretty much every weekend. And I was taking vacation days from work to go down and, and do manage some rentals as well to keep my contractors on track, which obviously I shouldn't be doing that, especially if I want to scale. 
And that's when I really settled down and thought, you know what, I need to build a team of people down there and take what I learned in corporate. So corporate's all about building amazing systems and apply that to my real estate business. So I'm not an expert at real estate. I don't claim to be an expert at real estate, but I'll leverage the experts. What my specialty is, is that coming from a business background, I can leverage the expertise of other people and kind of put them together and operate it so that the business can scale. And really, I want to focus on raising the capital. And I also want to focus on, I guess, connecting with different wholesalers and people who can get me undervalued properties. That's the most bang for my buck, not property management, not contractors. So knowing that, I went down to Windsor. You still have to go down, obviously, to build kind of that power team. Went down to a local meetup down there, so the Wind City Investors Club. And I just met up with other investors. I shared my story. I told them what I was trying to do. And I would always show face down there for the purpose of building relationships. And after doing that, I, by connecting with different investors, by connecting with different agents, I already had an idea of the contractors' names that came out quite frequently. So then I met the contractors. I interviewed them. Same with the property managers. Same with the wholesalers. And after I did that, I pretty much, I'm okay with paying them a fee if it means that it takes work off of my plate. That, uh, that's so crucial is being present, being there, networking in the city, the area that you identified that you want to work with, you know, obviously the misstep at the beginning. I think that's great. That's an awesome story because Austin, I don't think you're on your own when you say that when, you know, I bought a first property and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm in that same boat, that first real estate investment that I made, you know, luckily I had a partner that I'd walked through it, but I was like, I'm going to buy it. And then I was like, Oh my God, now what, what's the next step? What's that? And you know, obviously you had to take some hard knocks. You know, you hear the, we, you've heard that so many times with the contractor, you know, not being honest or something happening. And you know, it, they said one thing and now it's a different thing. And I think that right there is so valuable that experience. Cause correct me if I'm wrong before you bought that property, was there any formal training or any classes or programs that you had taken before that? So I knew absolutely nothing about real estate. The MLS, buying agent, listing agent, not new. those are all foreign concepts to me. So everything was completely new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and good on you for, you know, that, I think that's the big thing that a lot of people get hung up on is actually, you know, what we call, you know, pulling the trigger, or actually doing the transaction. And, you know, maybe you were a little unprepared before you did it, but you still did it. But I think now those experiences that you learned from that first on actually strengthens the systems because you can talk in hypotheticals when you're making a system right from the beginning and saying, well, if this happens and if that happens and then this happens, I know in our business, it's been almost six years or seven years. There's still new things that we're putting in place because of things that happened for sure, for three, sure. months ago, three months ago, five months ago. Um, so what's some advice for, for those people that, you know, are, you know, trying to get into the market or even have been uh, investing for a little while so that, that you can share with them that now that you're doing this first strategy from afar in, uh, in Windsor, what are some of the things that you wish you would have done, wish that you are going to do or things that maybe you never are going to do again mm -hmm, based mm -hmm. on some, some of your experience? Yeah. So something that I'm working on right now is that the market's hot with, with every real estate market right now. I feel like there's being multiple offers everywhere. So I'm trying to build relationship with wholesalers and you can definitely do this long distance. There's a lot of things you can do long distance that people don't realize. So for example, um, at the beginning, I thought there's no way I can get, off-market properties just for my cell phone if I'm in Toronto, but you got to be creative. So we see a lot of those uh, we buy houses advertisements on Kijiji's. Those are likely going to be wholesalers or 
probably maybe people buying deals for themselves, but they're not going to keep all the deals for themselves. So I go on Kijiji, I search We Buy Houses, I call every single one of those numbers and say, hey, I'm not looking to sell my house, but I'm an investor. And um, if you have any wholesale deals, let me know, put me on your buyers list. I ask them questions like, oh, how long have you been doing this for? Um, what, ki what kind of deals are you seeing? Single families, duplexes. Um, and, and really just, there's a lot of things you can do long distance that people don't realize. But the key criteria now that I see for a lot of long distance investors is that at this point, they don't even want to show up to the city. And I think that's not the right approach to it. I mean, at the beginning, you need to get your face out there and you need to meet other people. For example, like with my agent, when I started working with her at the beginning, I told her what my criteria was, but I never met her in person. Um, she probably has a long list of other investors who have the same criteria as me. So why will she send me a deal if she's not even sure that I'm going to close on it? If it means she can send it to someone else who can guarantee, who will guarantee close on it. So you got to put yourself out there in the beginning. So at least at the beginning, you got to go down to Windsor and, and set up meetings with different investors. Go find a local meetup down there. Uh, when you go to the meetup, tell them where you're from, tell them what you're trying to do and just uh, kind of pick their brain apart, right? And, and leverage these people in their future because realistically, these people will probably know more about the city than you. They'll probably know how to manage properties in Windsor better than you. So again, you just got to leverage your expertise, but you got to, the important part is you need to go down there, at least in the beginning to network and meet other people. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And I, I want to circle back for a second, because like you gave a piece of advice, I think is, I mean, if there's one thing from today, like this is gold. The fact that you go on Kijiji and you actually reach out to the people that say we buy houses cash or you call those signs, that's how you get on wholesalers lists. I mean, you know, I know a handful of wholesalers, but there's probably a ton more out there. And if they're, you know, just flippers looking for deals and doing it for themselves, you're right. At some point, there's going to be too many deals, potentially, that they're going to be thinking, oh, you know what, Austin reached out to me. I'm going to see if he's interested in that one. I'm not really a wholesaler, but I, you know, I advertise and I'm spending money on this gold mine. That is like a key tip. Thank you for sharing that. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and obviously you had lots of great tips as well, but that, that <laughs> I don't think anyone's mentioned before. So really cool. So then you went to two properties, you went to three properties, walk us through that journey. Like how did you go from, um, the disastrous first one, which I, I don't think was that disastrous because you know, ultimately you learn from it and, and I'm sure it, over time it's done well, but how did you go from one, two, three plus to 14? Yeah, so the first property, it wasn't meant to be a Burr property. It just kind of turned out that way. So I consider myself kind of lucky that it did. Um, so after purchasing the first property, I guess I got lucky in the sense that the tenant paid, or maybe it's not lucky. Maybe I didn't bet them out in the beginning. So this is a mistake on my end. But they paid one year's rent up front, which is could be kind of questionable. Um, but I had that cash sitting in my bank and I knew I wanted to make that work for me. So after burying out the first property and refinancing it, and I had that cash, that lump sum payment, I decided to go in half, half with another buddy and give it a try. Now that I have the teams, I have the systems in place. I've done the research. I went out networking. I've read the books. So I thought like, let me do this legit this time. Um, so I got a deal handed on my plate. Um, all I asked for was a video walkthrough. So I got a video walkthrough. Actually, maybe I should throw this out there. Um, a lot of the properties that I buy are sight unseen now. So I don't physically go down there until before closing date. And then I go down there with a the contractor. But what I do now is I get either a wholesaler, 
um, if they're trying to sell me a property or my agent to walk through a property and get me a video walkthrough. Um, they send that over to me. And then when I take a look at it, I kind of have an idea of what renovations need to be done. And if it's something that's appealing to me, I'll send in a contractor and an inspector there right after that. So that process will take two days. The inspector and the contractor go in there. The contractor gives me a very rough range of what renovations might need to be done and kind of a ballpark figure, like a stretch figure of it shouldn't surpass this amount based on what we've been seeing in the property. And the inspector obviously tells me whether a foundation is wrong, is if, if electrical is okay, plumbing, all of that major stuff. And once I have that information, then I can make a more educated decision because again, I'm not the expert at these things. If I was to walk through the property, I definitely wouldn't know as much as these people. So once I get that information, um, I, I for the second property, that's kind of what happened. Then I put in an offer right away. So that got accepted and we did the renovations for that. It was really just a cosmetic flip with some minor plumbing issues here and there, but nothing too expensive. And that second property was pretty much a full burr. So along that, and that was within three or four months. Um, then I did it again. I got an off-market deal that fell on my plate, needed to act on it quick. So got another video walkthrough, got the contractor inspector to go through, um, ran the numbers, it made sense. So put an offer on that. And at that point, I realized that I was getting a bit more deals than I did have, than I had capital sitting in my back pocket. Um, so luckily- What a for great problem. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not, not anymore, though. It's the complete opposite. <laughs> um, but I, I, this, I, luckily for me, um, I, I was recording my journey on Instagram throughout that entire process. So I was documenting everything. I was releasing YouTube videos here and there, which I stopped because it's very time consuming with the full time job. But uh, yeah, so I already kind of had a small brand for myself. And every deal going forward, I, I started to raise capital for. Um, so now I don't, that's, I think that's really how you scale in real estate is that you need to have the deal pipeline and you need to have the capital pipeline. At the beginning, I had the deal pipeline, but not the capital pipeline. But by putting myself out there, building that brand equity on social media, I had people that reached out to me that I thought, like I probably only spoken to them two or three times. And they said, hey, I have some capital lying around. Let's see if we can partner and do something. Um, and that's pretty much the scalability factor of it. Very cool. Now, just curious, sorry, who holds the mortgage on that? Yeah, at the beginning, um, I needed the capital more than anything. So I agreed to hold the mortgage for the first one or two. Um, I think with JVing, you have to accept that for the first maybe one or two, you need to give up a bit more than you get. But that's okay, because you're building that credibility and you're building that experience. But now going forward, I get my JV partners to hold the mortgage. Um, luckily for me, I still have another four or five mortgages to go. So I'm not completely tapped out yet. Um, but yeah, like ideally in the long term, if I leave my job, I, I will need the JV partner to hold the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to unpack what you said a little bit there. You know, you mentioned luck a couple of times and I always have, you know, a, a kind of a a torn feeling about when people, oh, I got lucky or that person got lucky. But I think you put yourself in the position to get lucky, right? If, you know, the, sure, a tenant coming up and saying, hey, I want to pay a full year's rent. That's great. I don't know how many people run into that. Maybe that is some type of form of luck. But knowing 
that it just didn't sit in your bank account for a whole year and you you use that or got a joint venture and and leverage that right that's not lucky that's your skill that's your knowledge and you know the right club nation that's listening to this podcast make sure you guys give yourselves credit for that because i'm giving you credit for that austin that's not luck that's your own intelligence your own smarts that you put that together and made that work for you um, and I really like uh, how you kind of leverage now the, the, the technology, right? People walking through the video. We have these devices, these cell phones. We're doing this podcast in three different locations. And we're, we're able to, to work together and talk together and get to know your story a little bit. So, um, so now that you've got a kind of a good flow and, you know, you've got the process in place and, you know, you still you haven't tapped yourself out, but you're still working with joint venture partners. What are you currently doing? Like, what's your what's your day to day? Obviously, you mentioned the you know you're working for one of the big five banks. Um, you're still looking to grow your portfolio. You have you know more joint venture partners. So, what is your you know what is your day look like, or what are you looking to get on on a daily basis, or try to find out there now? Yeah. So at this point, um, I pretty much stop raising capital and getting deals because I have a lot of properties on my plate now that I need to manage in terms of stabilizing it. Um, at the beginning, it was all about acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. But obviously, I don't want to grow too fast because I'm still working a full-time job. I don't want to jeopardize my credibility. So I want to make sure that these JVs go well. Um, in terms of a day-to-day -day in real estate, it's all about relationship building. Um, I still go out to different networking events. Um, and, and just make some phone calls here and there with, with agents, with contractors to build a relationship with them outside of just talking about work. And unfortunately I still do a lot of the administrative stuff, which I know I should get a VA or outsource it, but that's very time consuming as well. And obviously the nine to five, I can't, I can't really switch that out. That's going to take the bulk of my day. Um, so on, on weekends, I'm working a, a bit more than I would like to, but I'm trying to outsource a bit more of the administrative stuff so I can really just focus on the stabilization of the property and uh, raising capital. Yeah, absolutely. The VA was a huge help for me. Like we have some VAs for the right club. I have two for my own as well. And I've hired out, you know, Paul, who does all my branding and my marketing and I will say like once you start hiring out those things and you can really focus on the overall business rather than all the little tiny things, it's a huge time saver, especially like I still have a full-time job like you, you know, probably not for long at this point, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it, so, so that's like a really cool thing. But you know, for me too, like I love acquiring properties, but there's always a reason behind it, right? Like what's your reason that you want to acquire properties and that you got into real estate in the first place yeah so i guess this is a pretty deep rooted why one thing that my coach uh told me to do is to do an exercise called seven levels deep and what it is is that everyone has a why some people it's i want financial freedom but that's that's just a very high level you got to dig down deep to see what your subconscious why is so for example if i say i want financial freedom okay why do you want financial freedom okay um i want to spend time with family why do you want to spend time with family? Um, because they mean a lot to you, to me or whatever. Why do they mean a lot? And you just keep on digging down. You keep on asking yourself why, 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 why to the previous answer. And it, at four or five, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to answer why because you don't think that far. Um, but when you just keep on doing it, you get down to your subconscious level of, of the why. And I've done that exercise before. 
Um, the why is, it's, it's pretty deep, but what I will share is that it is rooted in family. So uh, my mom and my dad, they, they, they were born and raised in India. Um, then they immigrated over to Canada. So my dad had to drop out of school in grade six. So he was deprived of education. It's a typical immigrant story. They come down here, they have to work their blue collar jobs. And to this day, they still work full-time warehouse jobs, pretty much like minimum wage jobs. Um, so for me to kind of build this portfolio, um, I want to be able to take care of them more so than to take care of myself. Uh, financial freedom is extremely important to me, but um, in the Chinese community, I guess, like family is always the cornerstone of everything. So I hear my mom day in and day out talk about like, oh, I don't, uh, she hates her job. She's just like, oh, like I, 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 like I'm lifting heavy things, like my back hurts, this and that. And it, it's, it's sad to hear. Um, so for me to be able to scale this very quickly and take care of my parents will mean the world to me. And I think by the end of this year or so, I should be at a stage to get them, if, if I'm continuing to grow at the pace I am, I should be at the stage to get them at least closer to retirement. Um, and, and my dad's dream is to open up a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant at, uh, weirdly enough, at Windsor, because um, I guess there's not many Chinese restaurants down there and there's some sort of demand for its Indo-Chinese food. Um, and, and if I could help them do that while on the side, obviously grow my real estate portfolio, if I go down there with them, that'd be amazing. But that's, that's what's keeping me driving. And if you don't have a strong why, then when you fall flat on your face, it's hard to get up. So I, I encourage your listeners to do that exercise. It's, it's, it, it might get you, it might get you crying. So you need to, you need to keep tissues with you. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. And, and Austin, do you, do you mind me asking, and um, how old are you? I'm 24. 24. And guys, this is incredible. 24. And in the last, you said 18 months, two years or so that you've gotten involved in this. And, and now that deep why is, you know, for your parents that, no, they went through a hardship and a struggle immigrating to a new country, new language. And now you're doing this to give them, you know, a little bit more peace of mind, a little bit more security and help them achieve their dreams. And that is huge. And when a contractor is not done on time or, you know, uh, maybe an appraisal comes in a little short or, you know, there's another issue with a joint venture partner or a property or something like that, that's what you're going to go back to. And that's what's going to give you that fortitude, that, that strength to carry on and push through. So, so good on you, man. And at a, such a, in, in perspective, but you know, a young age that, that you're doing it, I, I can't, uh, I can't say how much admiration and respect that I have for you. So that, that's, that's incredible. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, that that's really awesome. And you know, you, you mentioned the, the networking groups and the different people now that you've connected with is that you've gone out and just gone out and done it. You've gone out and learned and you've made the mistakes and you've gone through it. So, um, no, I love that. I wrote the seven levels, you know, deep and in, in, in doing that. So what, you know, talk a little bit about the birth strategy. Sarah and I always talk about it and, you know, and her, her cases. So what's maybe one thing that you love about the birth, and then maybe one thing that you're like, ah, I wish, you know, it was a little bit different in that sense for, for those people that are getting into the birth strategy, you know, including myself that we're, we're doing one in Hamilton as well too. So Congrats, by awesome. the way, that's cool, Alfonso. <laughs> Yeah, so one thing I like about the birth strategy is the velocity of your money. Obviously, by pulling your capital out and being able to purchase another property, um, pretty much you can grow like unlimitedly. You can just keep on going and going and going. Um, so I, I, I guess burring is, is pretty difficult now, or I find it a bit more challenging just because of how hot the real estate market is. So it 
maybe maybe it's a limiting belief on my end, but I find it extraordinarily difficult to find those full burr opportunities down at Windsor now. Before there were, I wouldn't say they were plentiful, but they were easier to come across. But now things are selling above what the bank appraises the value at, which is pretty concerning. Um, so I'm trying to take a more creative approach to burring where I might be okay with buying things on market value if it means I can add value through it by either creating a secondary suite, by adding bedrooms, by doing some sort of value-add renovation to push the value of the property up. Um, so, so that's one challenge about a burr is that if, it, if you're in an extraordinarily hard real estate market, it is possible to burr, but it becomes a much, much more frustrating process. And another thing is that burring doesn't really, although it sounds like really cool, it's like, oh, I can get another property, I can get another property. Um, you're limited by your mortgages at the end of the day. So burring can take you to maybe five to 10 properties. And then after that, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to get another to get another property on the residential side, at least maybe on the commercial side, obviously there's ways around that, but burring is the first step. And I think putting it together with raising capital is a very powerful strategy. So if you're an expert at burring, that's great. But if you're looking to grow your portfolio to 20 residential properties, you need to also complement that strategy with raising capital as well. So that's a limitation of it. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. And, and I will say that it is harder to burr where you're pulling out all of your reno money and also paying back all of your down payment. What I'm finding right now is it's probably going to be two refinances over, you know, a certain amount of time. So you might, you might refinance right after the reno's done, pull out your reno money to, to put back and a portion of your down payment. So your ROI is still awesome. However, you know, there are very few home run burrs um, that I'm seeing even in the markets that I'm looking at. So I think it's just the reality of the market and where we are today is just you're going to you can still burr, but you might have to do the refi part over, you know, a couple years in order to get everything back out. So there is time, um, more time that you might have to allocate to it. But that is really cool. So I wanted to ask you. Um, so right now for for me, I'm starting to look at JVs and uh, and I do want to make it so that I'm actually teaching um, along the way, not not be the active partner and have a passive partner. But I wanted to know how you do it. Um, you know, how are you doing your JVs? Who's the active? Who's the passive? What's the split that you're doing? Um, a, out of curiosity for, for me personally, but also for a lot of people that are thinking, okay, how do I JV with the Burr strategy? Yeah, so I've done couple of different JVs. I try to not think of JV as an exact structure, but I kind of hear what my partner, what their needs are. And obviously I know what my needs are and, and think of a creative way. So with my first ever JV, I agreed to hold the mortgage on that because borrowing capacity was not an issue for me. Um, more so it was the capital capacity that was an issue for me. And um, one thing I did to, I guess, gain their confidence was that, and I don't do this anymore, but uh, for this is just an example for someone starting off JVing is that um, let's say they put $100,000 down and after refinancing the property, there's about 20K left in the property. Um, I agreed to buy in at 10K, so at 50%. So whatever's not pulled out, I agreed to buy my share in and it's not split on profit. Everything is split 50-50 at that point. Cash flow. Mm -hmm. Um, the equity, everything's just half half. Okay, let me yeah. let me stop you there one second, just because you know, for all the people like me out there that you know, with the numbers, have a little bit of issues sometimes. So, you have a joint venture partner; they invest a hundred thousand dollars into this first strategy. Mm -hmm. Then you know, you do the construction, 
you, you do the renos, now you're refinancing and now you're pulling out $80,000 out of the refinance and now there's $20,000 left of the joint venture money left into the deal. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. Now, now that's when you say, okay, there's 20,000 left. Let me give you an additional 10. So now I have 90 of my 100 yes. left in the deal and now you have 10 into it. Okay, perfect. Yep, and I, I pretty much buy in 50-50 because typically with joint ventures, it's for the, for the active partner, it's 50% on profits, right? So by buying myself in, it's not, it doesn't become 50% on profits anymore. It becomes 50 on everything. Um, so that was one way I went about it. Another way I structured it was that um, I just held the mortgage and did the traditional JB route. So what that is, is that the active partner does all of the work. Uh, brings in all of the time, manage it, manages it for the next four or five, six, seven years, whatever that holding period is, and they get 50% of upside. So for example, let's say that the capital partner puts in $100,000 and brings the borrowing capacity, and we refinance 80 grand out of that property in three or four months. Now $20,000 of $20,000 is still tied in. Let's say we sell the property 10 years from now, and we make a hundred K profit. So that 20 grand goes back into the uh, capital partner's pocket. So now we have 80 grand left and that is split 50, 50. So basically the active partner doesn't make money until the capital partner gets all of their money back. So it really incentivizes um, the, the active partner to maximize the profits, but along the entire way, cash flow is split 50, 50, because of course everyone needs to eat. Um, but that's how I've been structuring things now the more traditional way, but I do really want to stress, you can be as creative as you want with a JV with a lot of people coming to me and asking me, Oh, like this is going to be my first JV deal. Oh, I want to do 50, 50, but people are saying no to it. Um, maybe because honestly, you need the capital and borrowing capacity more than the value that you bring to the table. Sure, you're doing all of the work and all of that, but in reality, you do need the capital and borrowing capacity. So why don't you give a bit more in the beginning? So you can make it 50-50 on upside, but you take 70% of the risk and they take 30% of the risk on downside upon sale. Um, so it can be as creative as you want it to be. There's no structure or there's no limitation. I just really want to stress that fact because I think a lot of investors, especially the newer ones, are just very limited in the structure of 50-50 on profit, 50-50 on cash flow. But it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, thanks for sharing that because you got some great insights and it could be any combination of many different kinds of, uh, of structuring. So I would say though, like just make sure that you are talking all of this through with your partners so that they are on the same page, you are on the same page and you guys understand what's going on and, and have an exit strategy and have a second exit strategy if the first one doesn't work. But, Absolutely. You know, all those things are just critical to have as a conversation prior. So question, um, next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So we're going to ask you actually four questions. Uh, Alfonso and I will take turns going through these and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Austin, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's go for it. All right. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation. I just wanted to take a quick moment here. It is Sarah Larby, and I'm here with Laurel Simmons, and we have some really exciting news for you. And we heard you. We heard your emails, and we are going to be bringing you Right Club Nation online, coast-to-coast, -coast, accessible at any time of day, 
and you can be in your pajamas like I am right now and you can access our great content. And what is going to be that content, Laurel? Well, we have videos, recordings of live events that we've held. We have webinars. We have, we'll have our podcast information up there. We'll have uh, forums and chat groups and all kinds of things. You'll even be able to find services and products that you need in your neighborhood, local for you, because we know how important it is that you have your local team with you. We're going to be rolling things out very quickly. And as we start, you'll see more and more stuff come along and we really want you to join and become part of our online community. Absolutely. This is the first, and in my opinion, it was going to be the best Canadian online community of real estate investors and like-minded individuals. So guys, come and grow with us, join our online community, register and come and say hi and check out the amazing things. Yeah. And all you have to do is go to therightclub.com and you'll find us there. It's easy to register. It's free and hop on. We can't wait to see you there. Guys, come and grow with us. And now back to the show. Awesome. Question number one, what is the best advice that you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Best advice is to brand yourself, document everything. Um, without documenting anything, I would have not been able to raise capital. So go on your Instagram, pull it out, record everything you do on a day-to-day basis related to real estate. And it gets your audience showing that, hey, like, what's this guy up to? And when you buy your first property, they're like, oh, wow, he, he or she purchased their first his or her first property, then you buy a second one. And that will really blow the average person's mind because not many people get to two properties in like a year's period time or even 18 months. So I really stress documenting everything and that helps you build that brand credibility. A lot of people ask me, how do I raise capital? How to raise capital? But if no one knows that you're investing in real estate, then it becomes very difficult to start pitching it. Yeah, what a, what a great answer. I love the the branding and the documenting. It's so important. And even outside of real estate, like you mentioned, you work for one of the big five, um, technology, you know, transportation, all these things. I think that's why we're so rapidly growing in our societies because now we can look back and say, hey, we tried this five years ago. These were the results. We tried this 10 years ago. And we can look back on that documented, whatever business or even within our own lives, we can look back and document the mistakes, the good things, and actually take that moving forward and making a new pro, uh, a new process. So I, I love that. Documenting is huge, is really huge. So uh, thanks for sharing that. So question number two of the lightning round, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? favorite real estate investing, it's going to be networking event because a lot of people can read books. A lot of people can watch YouTube videos, but to really get your real estate to the next level, you need to go out to these networking events. If you want to scale, you need to build a power team to build a power team. You need to meet people. Um, There's no way around it. And uh, it shouldn't be the case, but only a small percentage of people actually go out and network. And if you really want to build your real estate portfolio, you need to go out there and meet other people who have accomplished what you want to accomplish. And they can help you along the way. You can meet your mentor there. You can meet contractors there, property managers, agents. You can meet everyone at a networking event. And it just makes your business so, so much more easier to manage in the long term. And obviously, it's very important to surround yourself with like-minded individuals as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. 100% agree with that. So question number three, Austin, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? Most successful attribute. I would say it's, it's being focused. 
And part of that is driven by really knowing what my deep rooted why is, which keeps me going. And also another thing is, is that real estate has a lot of shiny objects. There's like an Airbnb strategies. There is uh, like, there's rent to own. There's the bird, there's the buy and hold, there's the fix and flip, BTBs. There's an endless amount of strategies out there and you can't be an expert at every single one of them. Um, so I would say, figure out what your goals are. Um, figure out which strategy ties to your goals the most and hone in on building that, building the skill set required for that strategy. So at the beginning for me, I was trying to chase every shiny object. When I heard about a VTB, I was like, this is game changing. And I tried convincing everyone about a VTB, but uh, it, maybe I wasn't doing it properly, but it, it wasn't working. So I just went back down to my roots of the burst strategy and continued narrowing down and focusing on building that. Um, so yeah, staying focused, I, I think what got, got me to the point I am now. Great, great tip. And, and I love how you say that the shiny object syndrome, because I know even when I'm walking around the right club rooms and on our live events, and you, you could talk to 10 people and you get 20 different strategies because each one is doing, you know, this one and that one and this one and that one. And you're looking around and going, Oh, I should try this. I should try that. And you know, it's, it's really tough to do them all. I think, you know, I don't like to use the word impossible, but I think it's really tough to be um, great at all of them. So you got to pick the one or two or three or whatever that number is, but the ones that speak to you that are going to help you achieve your own personal goals. So staying focused and uh, is key and in, in, in narrowing it down to what strategy is so important. There are so many out there and they're all great and they're all different ways. They all have pros, they all have cons, but they have to be aligned with, with what you want. Right. So, all right. Mm -hmm. Last question of the lightning round. It's a Sunday morning and we thank you very much for spending, you know, part of your Sunday morning with us interviewing, but on a typical Sunday morning, what are you up to and what are you doing? Yeah, so Sundays, I try to keep it a bit more chill. I'm still working more than I, I like to. So typically on a Sunday morning, I wake up, um, brush my teeth, whatever, whatever, then head over to Starbucks in the morning and get some work done for about three, four hours. And usually by around two o'clock, um, that's really when I spend time with family and my girlfriend. Because again, like I'm doing this for relationships and continuing to build relationships in terms of my personal life. This is why I'm doing all this real estate stuff. So I don't want to get too sidetracked of that fact and start pushing them aside. So I always try to carve out time to spend to spend with my loved ones. And that's that's general. Sundays are pretty chill, um, but that's kind of what I that's do. That's awesome. Very cool, Austin. That is awesome. So Austin, if our listeners are Right Club Nation and wanted to reach out and know more about you, where can they go? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, Y-E-H-6. I pretty much then you can click the link on my bio and everything else is, everything else is there. <laughs> I love it. Austin from the six. That's cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice touch. Nice touch. All right. So I've had so much fun interviewing. I've made a whole bunch of notes. I love the seven levels. Um, but uh, any last tips of advice or, or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the right club nation? Yeah, definitely. So coming from a corporate background, one of my biggest worry was that, if I documented everything, what if my boss saw? What if my manager saw? What if my coworker saw? And the reality is that it might be true. And if you grow big enough and if you do it right, they might eventually see you doing all of these things. But I think you need to really narrow down and focus on what your priority is. If your priority is to climb the corporate ladder, then yeah, it's probably not the smartest decision for you to document everything. But if your priority is, is to attract JV partners and, and build a real estate brand, then 
you have to know that you're going you're gonna to make sacrifices and it could be at the sacrifice of being able to climb the corporate ladder. But really, if you do a good job at your work and you get your stuff done, there should be absolutely no reason for them to be upset with you. And if they are, because some people might still be upset, again, what's your priority? Your priority is to raise capital. So just, just know, just really figure out what you want to do and make the decisions based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it, like if you do a good job at work and you get stuff done and you're efficient and you're working during work hours and you're not mixing the two, hopefully you work in, a, in an environment and a culture that says, you know what, I guess I have the same situation, right? Sarah doesn't really watch TV. Sarah doesn't really do different things that like, you know, but her spare time is spent on real estate. So like, I, I feel like I could do whatever I want during my spare time, as long as I'm completing the tasks and, and working during work hours. So um, luckily it sounds like similar, something similar for you is my, my company has been very supportive of that because they know that when I'm at work, I'm at work, but you know, after 5 30 PM or on weekends, that's my time. Exactly. Yeah. Set the expectations. Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. And uh, Austin, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great interview, a great podcast and uh yeah, look forward to seeing you again at the at the Right Club soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Austin. What an awesome, awesome interview. I really, really enjoyed speaking with Austin. And uh, yeah, in a short amount of time, the amount of success and the amount of just, you know, volume that he's been able to do in that short period of time and, you know, getting out of the gate with a little bit of a, you know, a false start or, you know, making some mistakes, but he didn't let that deter him or stop him. He actually... He, he implemented the things that he learned or did wrong um, and, and, and is able to continue to grow forward. So, what, wow, what, what an inspiration this guy is. Absolutely. And I really like his seven degrees of why. You just keep digging and digging and digging. And then, you know, you'll, you'll get to the reason. And I love real estate, but I really don't love real estate as I'm, I'm more into the thought of having that freedom. And there are many reasons behind it, but you know, it's not about the brick and mortar. I just like the fact that I can control it a lot better than paper assets for me. And I understand it a lot better, but the real estate is, is a vehicle to get me to my ultimate goals of the freedom that I'm looking for. Exactly. Exactly. We're so consumed in our lives. There's so much noise, our cell phones, TV, radio, uh, all kinds of stuff, YouTube, internet, you could really consume hours and hours and hours of all this kind of stuff. That's just noise. And sometimes it's good practice to just, you maybe sometimes sit in silence and think about why you're doing all this. Because some days are really, really tough. And you're like, oh my God, if I just worked at a factory, I could just walk away, go home, not worry about all those things. And you know what? For some people, that, that's what their release is, is that, hey, I can shut it off. Um, I don't know if you're like me, Sarah. I think you probably are. You can never shut it off. You're always working. You're always doing it. You're always thinking, Right. And, it's um, really hard. It is really hard. Actually, yesterday we had dinner and some wine and we just put our phones away. And like, it, I know it sounds like a such a stupid thing mm -hmm. to do, but it, it really like you think about it and you're always checking emails or your, your phone's always going off for something, right? Whether it's text, a phone call, an email, you're checking something. Yeah. It's nice to actually put it away. And I, I think in a way, it can be pretty toxic to always be connected. You got to disconnect. And so we're really trying to make an effort at least with dinner or an hour, you know, afterwards of just putting the technology away. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can get so consumed by it and sitting back and, you know, just trying that start with 10 minutes, start with 20 minutes, start with 30 minutes and, and build up to that. And I think what you're going to find out is 
you get more deeper rooted. Like Austin said, they keep asking why, why? Oh, it's for financial freedom. Well, why do you want financial freedom? Well, be so I can do this. Why do you want to do that? And it's really redefining it within yourself. I, I try to do this often as things change in, you know, in personal lives and family life and business life. It changes, right? After being in business with my business partner for six, you know, and a half years, almost seven years, it's like, okay, well, wait, what, we knew why we were doing this at first. Okay, what about, you know, even why we were doing it a year ago? Okay, why are we doing it now? What's changed? What, 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 why do we want to do it now? What's the next five years look like? What is your, here's a good question that I got asked and um, I, I challenged the Right Club Nation, you know, to, to answer this question. And what does your day look like in five years from now? So you wake up on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day it is, what do you want your day to look like in five years from now? And, and, and put it out by minutes, by hours, by the whole day. What does your morning look like? Your midday, your afternoon, your evening. What does that look like? What do you want it to do? And now, what does it look like today? And how close are you, right? If you're really far and saying, hey, I want to be able to do this, this, and this, but now I don't because look, look what I'm doing. I'm in you know eight hours of meetings all day, right? And, and kind of filling in the gaps and saying, well, if I want that, then what do I need to do? And reversing, reverse engineering it, right? So really mm -hmm. taking the yeah. time to reflect is so important and putting the phones away because you can scroll and like and link and share and all this kind of stuff for hours and hours and hours. Um, there's no lack of that out there for sure, but the lack of self-reflection and surrounding around the people that are helping you grow and become better, that, that's, that's important. Great, great insights. Appreciate it. Alfonso, as always, it's great to have you as a co-host. Right Club Nation, thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't yet, if you could please leave a rating and review it's always greatly appreciated. And also check out our whole online platform, which, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm super excited about. We've been working tons and tons on and uh, it's really coming together. So really cool. Alfonso, thanks for being on the show. Right Club Nation, thank you. And what do we say, Alfonso? Come grow with us. See you next time, Right Club Nation. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.